0: Hey everyone, buenos dias. I have the great privilege of recording this in beautiful Madrid, Spain. It's a glorious Monday morning here. We're about two days removed from my finish this past weekend at the Transgran Canaria, 128K, of course an ultramarathon that traverses the length of Gran Canaria, an island off the coast of Morocco. It was a real treat to be able to to race uh, again in this event and have a solid outing. And even more of a treat is to bring you this episode with the four-time champion of the race, the icon, Mr. Pau Capel. Pau, of course, a Spaniard, UTMB champion, only 28 years old, but has amassed a resume to rival many of the top runners we've ever seen in the sport. And he's just got so much more time and room to improve in his own career, which is quite a scary prospect for those of us who aspire to compete with him. But aside from being a great, great athlete, obviously, Pau is also a true gentleman. He's a real pro. And I had a great privilege of being able to sit with him and chat with him about all the things that, that make him great. And I hope this goes a long way to helping to introduce Pow to more of an English-speaking, maybe American audience. Uh, he's really uh, a true champion and somebody who I think really exemplifies the spirit of the sport. Uh, in addition to being uh, a truly great athlete, he uh, he's really a good person too. And it comes across, I think, in this interview. We talk, of course, about his race over the weekend in which he tied with friend and fellow Spaniard. Pablo Villa, we talk about his training and racing strategies, we talk a bit about his UTMB uh, championship from last year and look ahead towards UTMB again this year. So I really appreciate Pau sitting down with me. We only had about 40 minutes to chat before we both had to run in opposite directions, uh, but in that 40 minutes, I think we packed a lot of useful information in here. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. And then at the end, I think what I'm gonna do is also just record a longer outro where I'm gonna comment a bit on the women's race at Trans Grand Canaria, because I think there's a lot of interesting things that happen there that are worth discussing, including uh, Caitlin Gervin's amazing win. Uh, Of course, I'm hoping to have her on the show here as soon as possible as well. Uh, We weren't able to do it on the island just due to time constraints, but hopefully we'll be able to to do that soon. Um, But yeah, stick around after my chat with Pau Capel. If that stuff interests you at all, I'll talk more about the women's race and maybe talk a little bit about my own race as well. Okay, here we go. Pau Capel. Let's go. Okay, I'm here with my friend, teammate, and champion ultrarunner, the one and only Mr. Pau Capel. Pau, how are you?
1: Good. Now tired after the race, but yeah, really good to stay here with you.
0: Yeah, and we are only uh, about 24 hours removed from our um, respective finishes here at mm-hmm. uh, Trans Grand Canaria, your, your fourth consecutive victory. Mm-hmm. Um, how's the body feel? How's the the mind feel? Are you are you on cloud nine and glowing after another phenomenal victory?
1: <laughs> I'm really happy. Uh, I came here with the the goal uh, to do the, my fourth victory, and we did it with Pablo Villa. Uh, we finished together, and and yeah, it's it's a good yeah a good start of season, and yeah, really happy. Tired, but happy.
0: Well, I want to talk a lot about yesterday's race and Mm -hmm. sort of what made it special and hard um but first like as i said to you before we started recording i i really want to you know give american ultra fans like a better understanding of of pal capel who of course is now world famous champion of the sport but why don't you give us a quick sort of um recap of how you got into the sport you were a soccer player Growing mm-hmm. up, right? So yeah. what what brought you from that team sport environment to endurance sport?
1: Uh, I was playing football when I was 20. And in one match, I broke my knee, my ligaments, the meniscus, And yeah, I did the operation, chirurgic operation. And after that, the doctor recommends me to run mm-hmm. in the mountain. I I had never run in the mountain. So I, I tried it and it was like a lot. So I went maybe 20 minutes only walking, running in the mountain, and it was fantastic feeling, uh, magic feeling, I think. And I come back, come back, and then I stopped to play football and start run, but more popular runner. Yeah. And then maybe at 22, 23 years old, I started to do a competition, seriously competition, and maybe 25, uh, be a professional.
0: Wow. And what are you, 28 now? Now right? 28. Yeah, wow. So... That doctor who gave you that advice of go run in the mountains, have does that doctor um is he or she informed as to you know what you've achieved now with their guidance?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knows, he knows <laughs> the yeah, all yeah. the way that I have done it. And he always say, please when you talk about the, the history, please say my name <laughs> uh-huh. because uh, I, I would like to help people to to do the same.
0: Well that's that's amazing. And what an amazing story and uh amazing trajectory it sent you on. But you know, obviously like your rise in the sport has been relatively quick and especially being so young, like you still have such a big future ahead of you and your uh, sort of progression, I think is also something that a lot of people can, can learn from in that, you know, you got into it young, you sort of had the desire to improve, um, and so what do you? What did you do in those early years when you got into it, 23 or 24, to, to help you sort of get onto this path of ultimately uh, being at the top of the sport?
1: Uh, since the first day I started to do, I think it, for me it's my philosophy in the life is step by step, always try to do the things that you think that you can do it, and then you will improve and you will plus the second level. And this is the the way that I did it. So when I started run, I did ten kilometers, twenty, maybe one year doing this distance. Then I I did a marathon, and after the marathon, I did my first ultra trail, and it was the moment that I say, wow, this is different than the other races that I have done it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm ultra trail runner because you run, you run a lot of hours, but also you live other kind of things than the other races that you can do. So. I think that we did a short career to now, but always step-by-step step and doing left to more.
0: So just like constantly trying to work on ways to mm-hmm. improve. What's specifically like, do you have a coach yeah. or, and how has that impacted your evolution and improvement?
1: So I have a coach since I started run mm-hmm. and it's the same coach. He's mm-hmm. a girl and I meet her in a race. Uh, in one of my first ultra Trails. Mm. She was my referent in, in Ulta Trails in Catalonia. And I meet her in a restaurant. I remember that I went to the table of her and uh, she was taking dinner with, uh, with uh, the partner and I w- went there and, and said, Laya, uh, I meet you. I know that you don't meet me but I would like to train with you. Please, uh, you want to be my coach? And we started a, a really good relation and now she's one of my best my mm. best friends and is my coach and I think it's really important to improve have a coach yeah. if not I'm sure that I will I will not be here because I love sport I love to train sometimes I train too much <laughs> and she's the yeah my leader when she says Pau please don't train now <laughs> uh, rest a little bit or train three hours only or not yeah. seven hours per day yeah. so it's for me it's really important
0: yeah, it's really a good point and something that I've always thought myself and something that I always recommend to people too, because I'm sure like me, you also get the question all the time of like, what advice would you give me to mm-hmm. sort of like improve as a runner? And the thing that I always say is hire a coach, you know, because for me in my career, it was the same thing. Like first couple of years, just gaining experience, gaining fitness. I, I started to just continually improve, mm-hmm. but then Once I ultimately got connected with my coach, it was like the improvement curve just took an abrupt turn upwards in a way that was really like fascinating to me. And, Mm -hmm. and so I, you know, I think it's important for, for people to hear that from, from people like you too, to, you know, to not being afraid to, to reach out to people, as you said, with your coach, she didn't even know who you were. And you just approached her and said, hey, will you be my coach? Mm-hmm. And now you guys have a, an amazing relationship and yeah. friendship, which is the same with me and my coach. In fact, my coach, Jason Koop, flew all the way over here just to sort of cheer and spectate out the race, which is yeah. an amazing. It's just a really important dynamic to have. So in talking about training you know and you saying that sometimes you maybe train a little bit too much Mm -hmm. and your coach has to supervise you a little bit (laughs) um you're one of the few athletes in the sport who doesn't really publish all the the training on on strava and stuff can you give us but like for those of us who follow you on instagram like on your stories you know it seems like Mm -hmm. you're you're always training right (laughs) you do big volume you do a lot of cross training you're in the gym all the time Can you give us a glimpse into sort of what your your training is like or maybe like what your um yeah relationship is with the coach and and how she sets all that up for you?
1: Normally I have a planning per week so we we have a I think good control of the trainings and with the performance if I have some problems or not so we try to adapt all the trainings uh during the week but I train 4-6 hours per day. So in these four, six hours, I don't train 100% for sure. Uh, Like you said, I I do cross training in the gym, in the elliptic, in cycling. So maybe I do three hours running per day and then I do two hours in the gym. And in the gym, we we work with three X. We work with some machines for the muscles and and also cross cardio training with elliptic or cycling. So uh, yeah, I publish a lot of, trainings in my Instagram, <laughs> but, um, I think last year I published in Strava, also my trainings and it was a mistake for me really? because, uh, I was publishing, I was controlling other athletes that the other athletes control me and it was more pressure than, than enjoy, you no. Know? And <laughs> what do you
0: mean you were controlling other athletes?
1: Uh, looking, like, looking uh, uh, I don't know. One uphill. Looking- yeah. Ah, he he did I don't know. Oh, he did that. 1,000 positive yeah. in yeah. fifty minutes. Oh, it's too fast. I need to do it and yeah. I want to try. And oh. if, if you do and you do 52 minutes, uh it's wow, I'm not good. Yeah. He is better. And for your mind is it's worse. Interesting. And I don't like to I prefer to control maybe the histories yeah. of Pablo Villa, for example, before on Canaria. Yeah. Uh I was looking Pablo Villa because I knew that he was training good. Sure. And I was looking at him, the trainings, and he published some timings. And I was writing him, please, Pablo, stop because you are too strong. <laughs> but it was more... I, I prefer to only look yeah. the training. And, oh, he's he's training and he's fast.
0: Yeah.
1: Than control-specific, the Strava statistics. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like it, so that's why I, I'm not using Strava today.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Is there anything that you do in training that you think... That maybe you weren't doing when you were twenty four or twenty five mm-hmm. that you know it has made a huge impact on your ability to now perform at that uppermost level, like a certain type of training intensity mm-hmm. tempo work
1: yeah we 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 changed a little bit I remember that when I was younger, I was doing more long trainings like twenty five kilometers thirty kilometers, but only run, and today we are training more specific trainings, maybe. Uh, Twenty kilometers, but with series in uphills, with series in downhills, mm-hmm. and working with the heart. Uh, so we we work with we do analytic every year with the doctor with uh, effort. I don't know in English, but the effort effort, yeah, yeah, you know. And now we are working a lot with this. Cool. So I I know that we improve uh, because we are working with the heart uh, intervals
0: with the heart like yeah, heart rate. Uh, okay, so. And then you, you can take that data to your doctor, as you said, Mm -hmm. and, and then have a measurable kind of validation of where you are fitness wise. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So in transitioning from training to racing, you know, not only are you, you know, always a great racer, but always a very consistent, consistent runner. And in my mind, you know, the mark of like the really great champions are those who can just always show up and perform, you know, in different environments with, you know, different um, adversity on different courses and different weather conditions and always seem to have a solid performance. And you've sort of really exemplified that, especially, you know, in the last four or five years that you've been sort of at this top level. And, but you also race like a ton, like you race more than, than most of the professional men on the circuit, right? And I, I listened to your I Run Far interview before the race and where you said something to the effect of, you know, I, I usually will only target three or four big mm-hmm. races a year and then use the other races more as like a, a training stimulus. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that strategy and how you come up with your calendar and and then the thought process behind which races are the main targets and which races are the training?
1: Yeah. Uh, normally per year. I would like to run more races that I'm running now. So this is the big problem for my coach. Because <laughs> she she sent me a mail, Pao, please, uh, you can't do this and we need to change. So today uh, we plan 12 races per year, more or less. But in these 12 races, three races or four races are a big goals, like Gran Canaria, Madeira, or UTMB, or one race in Menorca that is a long race. And then I use other races... Uh, like Slovenia, in France two races, in Italy one race more for training Mm -hmm. Uh, and why? Because sometimes in my trainings normal planning, I can go to train, I can go to maybe do a long training with six seven hours, but I know that if this training I do in a small race like six hours, seven hours, but not main goal, I will do better than a training, so it's it's a good control for my performance uh, before I race. So that's why I, I run a lot of races in the year, but, you know, for big goals and the other races are more for training.
0: So then what makes those big goals more, or like how how is the approach to, like what is your, I guess, is it just the motivation component? It's like, okay, these are the the main targets, the races that I want to perform at the best. Is it because of, the competition level the you know the stature of the race in the sport what what about
1: today i'm focusing more in yeah in competition for sure yeah. because if the race is not a competition a good competition level mm-hmm. you know that for example in media or in social media mm-hmm. the impact will will be zero mm-hmm. so uh, today i think that it's important do a good race but also communicate the race with yeah. the people because this helps for the uh, sponsors for your career and also for yeah, for your future. So yeah. today I'm I'm looking at the big races at like Gran Canaria, Madeira, UTV, Uh and I would like to go in USA because I had uh, the registration for Hard Rock two years ago, yeah. but finally I I couldn't go. Uh, so I think that the market in USA is is really good yeah. for the brands also and. And yeah, maybe next, next year I will focus one big goal in, in USA.
0: Oh, we would love to have you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and that's kind of what I was getting at with the question. And I think it's just, uh, it's really important to have those considerations as an athlete, particularly when you're trying to make a career out of it mm-hmm. of like, not only what races motivate me and, you know, satisfy some, you know, emotional, quality that that I'm searching for, but also you do have to think about those things like, okay, how will this impact my career? Is this a race where I think I can perform well? Does it suit my my skill sets? right? Mm-hmm. So it's I, again, just like going back to your sort of professional approach to the sport, I think it's just really important for people to to understand that. Not only do you train super, super hard, mm-hmm. but there's just so much more thought that goes behind it. and in race selection, and and when you're going to be doing your training, where you're going to be doing your training, it mm-hmm. really is like takes a lot more time than than people.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think. For, well, when you are going to run one race, it's, 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 your words are really really real that like before of start you have a big work behind uh, with trainings with the specific trainings for the race, and and yeah, it's uh big work not only for you but more for the coach, yeah. nutrition, all of this is yeah. is. A, a big work.
0: Yeah. So, also in, in the same theme of of your racing, your your style or your strategy is always one of aggressiveness, right? You you I always <laughs> sort of like put pressure on the other contenders in the race immediately, right? Like you like to run hard off the front. Where does that come from?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like in the races, for example. <laughs> in U T M B happens or in distance run canary happens. Yeah. Uh, start with my hundred not my hundred percent, but ninety yeah. percent. Yeah. And look the other ad- athletes, what kind of athletes have today in the race. Yeah. And if they are prepared to yeah to pass me in this start and and run faster than me. Or what kind of athletes wants to run with me. And that's why I start like this. Yeah. Because I like to control in the first minute uh, what is the the, the professional athlete that we are going to run? So I prefer this than start slowly and then try to yeah analyze <laughs> the, the other athletes. So I don't like it. I prefer to start ninety percent so, and yeah.
0: That's so interesting because I'm the opposite, right? Like I much <laughs> yeah. prefer to to be behind and and work my way up. And I so like admire guys who race like you. You know, Zach Miller, Jim mm. Walmsley, sort of have. Similar styles. And I think it's getting to a point now in our sport where to win, you know, the bigger, big races, you almost have to do that now, as mm-hmm. we've seen, like with your performance at UTMB, which I want to talk mm-hmm. about here in a minute. And then even like, you know, Francois at UTMB too, like he and Jim Walmsley had that sort of like battle the year that you and I uh, mm-hmm. did it as well in 17. And I mean it is sort of like at the big races now you have to take big risks mm-hmm. right yeah so the the psychological aspect of that do you find it energizing to to be like running off the front because for me like if i found myself in the lead of a race too early i would be constantly thinking like am i going too hard like <laughs> am I being stupid?
1: Right? Yeah, but you know your body, you know yeah. your performance, so you can control if if you're running too fast you know that you're running too yeah. fast and I think that it's, it's worth your position that you say, no, I start maybe less because I prefer to control in in the first part of the race and then I run faster, but you need to be really strong in your mind, know that the other athletes are in thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and you want to catch them. And for me, it's worth this kind this position because you need to yeah to, to go faster than the other athletes, than stay in front. And I know that I have thirty minutes yeah. of advantage. I can manage. Yeah, this no, I oh. I prefer this kind of. So
0: it feels like you have more control.
1: Yeah, I I I change the the mind. Yeah. So maybe other outlets that stay in front think, oh, I'm first or I'm second, I need to run faster because if if the other athletes run faster, they catch me. Mm -hmm. And this is one position of the mind, and the other position is, okay, I'm first or second, I have minutes, so I have an advantage. Mm -hmm. So the positive mind is the second option that I prefer to choose this. And then if I have 10 minutes of advantage, I can run slowly, I can recover 10 minutes. If you catch me, you will catch me more tired than me because I, yeah. I will be maybe resting a little bit. Yeah. And then if I want to, to, yeah, to push more, I will be fresh. That's
0: really interesting and sort of plays into what I want to talk about with UTMB here in a second. Actually, we might as well talk about it now. I want to talk about yesterday's race too, but we can sort of finish with that. So just to go back to last year's UTMB race. Mm-hmm. As a spectator and a fan of the sport, your run there was just, like, so incredible. <laughs> Such an amazing I race. Think, yeah. <laughs> so, first of all, like, with some perspective, how did that performance kind of change your life?
1: I, uh, for Newt B? Yeah. I think that I arrived in my best moment of my life. Yeah. Uh, it's the day that all the star stars, stars yeah. all the stars are in the same way yeah I had my family I had the girlfriend yeah. my friends I had a good training yeah uh, and I don't know we did the best race that I, yeah. I could imagine but not only me eh? yeah. all the team yeah I arrived in the checkpoint and all the family said the words that I needed mm-hmm. and sometimes it's more important this than your performance for yeah. sure you need to be with good performance in your 100%. But the big the big challenge, it was arriving in Kilometer 90 and have the same force, the same, I don't know, the feelings, the good feelings. And I had it in, in UTMB with my family. So it was amazing.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. and And going back to kind of what you were just saying with putting the pressure on the competition, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think you had... Almost a twenty-minute lead as early as like the Col de Bonhomme, which mm-hmm. is only maybe fifty kilometers in into the race. So early in the race, you had like a very sizable advantage. Obviously, you were pushing a very hard effort. Were you scared at all? Like, or because you obviously would have been getting some sort of feedback when you see people out uh, or at the checkpoints? You know, hey, pal, you're twenty minutes ahead. It's very early in the race. Yeah. Did did you ha- were people giving you that feedback and how did it Im- impact your your psychology during the yeah, event?
1: Yeah, I gave these feedbacks yeah. in every checkpoint, and I knew that I had a big advantage and kilometer by kilometer, I had more, more minutes, mm-hmm. so maybe I could think, "Wow, oh, you are going too fast, and maybe you will explode mm-hmm. in kilometer ninety, for example." But I had my timings, so I was following following my timings. Mm-hmm. I went two times in in the Tour of Utah to beat run. So I knew what timings I needed to do in checkpoint by checkpoint. So I started Chamonix, I went to Les Jouge and I knew that I needed to do forty two minutes. Yeah. Okay. When I arrived to Les Jouge, I passed the checkpoint. I looked my watch. 42. I'm in mean the timing. <laughs> then I went to Saint Gervais, one hour thirty-six and one hour thirty-six. And I was running like this. And I, I was not f- focusing my yeah, my attention in the other athletes. Mm-hmm. So I was running with this and then I arrived in Chamonix with my timing. Thirteen minutes more than my timing because we did a little bit looping in one part of the of the of the road. But yeah, I was following my timing.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So you you were taking the splits that you ran in your your training tours around the mountain yeah. and implementing those into your yeah. Your I, race. I looked
1: the timings of. I, I, I say it because it, yeah. it's true. Yeah. I looked the timings of François Yeah. when he won me in 2017. I yeah. uh, finished six. And I looked the timings of François. I take it and I went to, mm-hmm. to Mont Blanc, uh to practice uh, mm-hmm. in the tour. And I went with Jack Miller, with Marcin, with uh, Hauks, mm-hmm. Scotty Hauker. So I take uh some some athletes i invite them to mm-hmm. to to the tour and we did two loops and it was really useful for me because i i could um analysis uh, the other athletes mm-hmm. look if jack miller ran faster in in uphills yeah. or in downhills study a little bit my competence mm-hmm. and then in the race I knew that what kind of athletes were competing with me
0: yeah. And you could sort of push each other a yeah. little bit in the training yeah. as well. Yeah. I think that's a, an, another really good illustration of just sort of like being a total professional in the sport of, you know, leaving no stone unturned turn in, in training, but also training in the right environment with the right people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, these people are also going to be your competition on race day and then still always thinking like, okay, what? could my advantage be over somebody like Zach Miller, mm-hmm. you know, like if you see him, like maybe you're a stronger climber and then it, on race day, you know, you have that sort of confidence or just like subtle knowledge inside you. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. So also in the race going over Grand Colferre, I think you had about a 25 minute lead at that point. And then at the next checkpoint, uh, as we were following along, mm-hmm. was La Folie, Xavier was in second, and at La Folie he cut the gap down to like fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have that awareness that he had closed a decent amount of time in in a very? It was only in twenty twenty k's he mm-hmm. he made up ten minutes. Yeah. What yeah. what happened there? Were nah. you having a bad bad? moment there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) In all races I have one moment. Yeah. That I lost my my force. Yeah. It's in English, my force, no? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I lost my force and it it happens in in Grand Colferret. I arrived to the top and I started to go down go down to um to La Folie and (sighs) I didn't eat good. I didn't drink I drink and I arrive in La Folie without force. And I knew that Xavier was running fast, uh, but I had 15 minutes. So I stopped in La Folie. I remember that uh, I ate too much uh, cheese because I was really hungry. <laughs> and I, I thought, okay, I'm going to eat. And then I start again the second race because for me, it's one big point is La Folie is yeah. 115 kilometers, 110. Yeah. So it left maybe 60 kilometers more. So. I I remember that I thought, okay, stop, eat, and try to recover the minutes that you lost.
0: Yeah, interesting. So you did have the awareness that he had closed the gap, <laughs> yeah. Because then, between La Folie and Champé-Lac, you got all ten minutes back. Yeah. And, and for me, as I was watching, I was like, oh shit! Like, Xavier is of co- of course like a th- three time champion. Like he knows how to run the tour, mm-hmm. and you know, for you taking such an aggressive strategy from the start of the race it was sort of like doing the math in my head like okay it's 15 minutes now we still have pretty much the hardest part of the course ahead xavier is a three time champion like this is going to be close yeah. and then at the next checkpoint it was 25 minutes again and then you built your lead up to i don't what was it 40 or 45 minutes, yeah, 45 at, the
1: minutes yeah. at the end yeah yeah and this is uh, like i said in the in the start of this conversation that i had the day so, maybe another yeah. race, if you lost ten minutes in twenty kilometers, maybe you will lose ten minutes more in ten kilometers, yeah, so it was a critical point for me in the race, but yeah, uh, fortunately, for me, finally, I could recover the timing, but it was a critical point,
0: yeah, so, and you said that it was also just like the perfect the perfect mm-hmm. day for you, of course, that doesn't always happen when when we want it to, but When, when everything lines up, it's just like the best feeling in the world. (laughs) Right. So as you look back on UTMB, is there anything specific that you did in your training? Cause I know that UTMB was also like, your goal was to win the race last year. Right. So what does it feel like to, to set that goal and the feeling like, what is it like to actually achieve it? And what do you think specifically? What did you do that really helped you to to be on the top step there?
1: I think that I arrived really fit yeah. in the race. So it was, I remember that I was looking in the mirror uh, without clothes. And <laughs> wow, I'm fit. And yeah, it was, yeah, all the stars are in line. So I, I don't know. I, I train a lot also. Uh-huh. I train a lot. I remember that in one week, 300 kilometers, more or less, wow. every week. Wow! Or two hundred fifty, uh, and it was my training in July and two the two first weeks of August. So mm-hmm. I trained too much, but right. then I when I was running the race, it was not really hard. Yeah. running the UTMB because you were so I was fit. training a lot uh, weeks before. So I think that we did a good a good job, and also it's not only for for me. It's uh, the helpful is the coach. The nutrition, the mm-hmm. doctor, podologist, the physio. Yeah. An, you know the team of, of one athlete. I run, but behind me it's yeah. ten people, fifteen, helping. Did you guys all have a big celebration to yeah yeah after the race? Yeah, I invite <laughs> yeah. them. Eh? <laughs>
0: That's great. I paid. <laughs> That's amazing. So I mean, we could talk about UTMB for a long time, but I know we don't have a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of time here, and I want to talk about our our races yesterday. Mm-hmm. Where of course you were able to accomplish your fourth consecutive win here at Trans Grand Canaria, and in a really kind of special race with you and Pablo, can you just sort of give us the story of what happened at the front of the race?
1: Uh in in the start we start together. Yeah. Uh, you know you were here. Yep. And I I knew that the Chinese I don't know the Pacquiao, I yep. think is the name and and Jared. Yeah. And um, were in front so. I knew also that Pablo is really smart guy, he's mm-hmm. intelligent, and I knew that he preferred to stay behind us, controlling the race, and I knew that Jared and the Pacquiao were more, I don't know, motivated or more aggressive. Mm-hmm. So after 60 kilometers, Pacquiao was left the race, uh, and Jared was more tired than I thought. Mm -hmm. And I think that in Tejeda he lost the way, and after he was twenty minutes behind us. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in kilometer seventy, I was with Pablo, competing. The battle was open, and he attacked me in in Roque Nublo. He was running too fast for me. I think Mm -hmm. I couldn't follow him. And then he on the on the climb up the climb to, to Roque, and he was three minutes. Of advantage. And then after Garañón, that you know, that they start the downhill to the finish line, yeah, 40 kilometers too fast, I catch Pablo, I tried to attack him again. I attack him. He was behind controlling also this attack. And in the kilometer, I don't know, uh, 110 or less, we were together in ayagaures the last checkpoint. Yeah. And I remember that I asked where you were, uh-huh. because I knew that you were there. And, <laughs> uh, where is Dylan? He's in <laughs> 20 minutes, 25. Yeah. Okay. And I looked at Pablo, and I thought, Pablo, <laughs> maybe I, I will attack again. Yeah. Uh, but then, in the uphill of Ayagaure, yeah, yeah. it's two kilometers of uphill, I did a little bit attack, uh, but he was running also yeah. with me. And then we decided to finish together yeah. because it was a stupid uh do more attacks uh five kilometers before the finish. It was a stupid. So I think it was sometimes, you know, uh you in ultra trail races it's more normal than marathon or mm-hmm. half marathon races that you can finish with other than that yeah. because it the strategy can change during the race. Yeah.
0: So well yeah, and I think it's a it's a cool thing that happens in our sport at moments when it kind of is appropriate, right? Like Mm -hmm. you guys were running together the whole race pretty much, right? You're both Spaniards. You've won the race alone enough Mm -hmm. times at this point, but, but that's interesting too. And I think for people who will listen to this, just to get a little insight into that competitive spirit that happens at the front of the race and with the way that the sport is evolving now and becoming more. Competitive Mm -hmm. to where you're talking about actually, you guys are attacking each other in different parts of the race. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not as if, oh, he's just stronger on the uphill, I'm stronger on the downhill, but like you're actually putting thought into, like, okay, I'm going to try and drop this guy Mm -hmm. here. And Pablo and actually Pablo and I at TDS two years ago Mm -hmm. ran together for like probably 80, 80 to 100 kilometers of that race too. And it was the same thing. It was like (laughs) constantly like, trying to drop him and him trying to drop me and um yeah it's just like the sport has gotten to a point now to where like you really do have to be ready uh both physically and like psychologically to mm-hmm. to take those risks in the middle of the race and for both of you guys to sort of take your own risks mm-hmm. and then to not be able to, to break each other and to just
1: finish in solidarity is a, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. That's it. It's it's this, uh, you, you try, you try to, yeah, to do the best attack that you can do it. And when you try and you look the other athlete and you can see that he's following you. And when he try you follow him. Yeah. It's like today, maybe uh, we can't uh, finish with, other kind of finish that finish together mm-hmm. so that's why we finished together
0: that's great and it was an amazing performance for him too mm-hmm. and uh now you guys will will face off again at, at utmb at mm-hmm. the end of the summer
1: and maybe, just maybe in utmb we will not finish <laughs> <together>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's
0: not allowed <laughs> not at utmb but i was thinking about it this morning um just about your guys's performance this weekend and just the, the field that's assembling uh, for UTMB this year, where, of course, you're going to be going in as the defending champion. Pablo will also be one of the mm-hmm. main contenders. And when you think about the other top athletes in the field, uh, one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of them are doing another 100-miler very close to mm-hmm. UTMB. So, like, Tim Tollefson's doing Western States. Mm-hmm. Francois and Xavier are both doing Hard Rock. There's a couple people I can't remember off the top of my head now but you know i don't know it's just something that i'm thinking about in the dynamic of the you know the top end of the field because obviously having all those top top athletes going in uh you know it might come down to like who has you know structured things the best right and if somebody comes in a little bit tired at utmb like you you get exposed mm-hmm. so <clears throat> i'm sure that's uh your main objective again for the season, and I can't wait to, to watch it. And I think Pablo will also be a a mm. big factor to look out for. Do you have any thoughts about sort of like, you know, how how you're going to be approaching it now? UTMB, that is at, at returning as the defending champion. Does it give you extra motivation or extra pressure?
1: Uh, per- pressure? Not. I don't have pressure. But when I finish UTMB this this year, uh. I remember that I had a motivation mm-hmm. for start a new season. Yeah. Because when I started run, my dream was win with UTMB. Mm-hmm. Then when I won UTMB, it was like, and now? What I can do? Yeah. And I remember that I was looking uh, what athletes have won um, two times consecutive UTMB. Mm-hmm. And it's Marco Olmo and Kilian. And I thought, okay, maybe this is your new goal. Yeah. Try to be the third athlete that can win two times mm-hmm. consecutive UTB and is my motivation my new new motivation and I know that this next year it will be the start line it will be full yep. of elite athletes except Kilian that can't run because he hasn't the points, but the other athletes will be there, so will be a i think a really good race, and we need to prepare yeah seriously this race,
0: yeah, well, I can't wait to watch and uh. <laughs> Was Yeah, especially, again, going back to the the whole, like, race strategy thing and the way that UTMB has kind of won now is that, like, you have to be going hard off the mm-hmm. front. And with guys like you and Francois and Jim Walmsley all running, like, in that style, uh, just it's going to be an amazing, amazing show to watch. So, just in closing here, uh, before I have to run to the airport and you mm-hmm. have lunch with your family, you know, as a two-time Ultra Trail World Tour champion, you've won UTMB, you've won Trans Grand Canaria four times in a row. Like, that's a pretty incredible resume to have when you're only 28, right? Like, you have so many years in front of you to mm. continue to improve. What are some of the major other objectives that you have for the future?
1: Sometimes it's the most difficult thing. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Have these objectives big. Become- objective yeah. uh, for me for example i have never been in usa yeah and this is one yeah one of my goals in the future go to usa and try to i don't know win but, or try, try to fight with the best athletes like you mm-hmm. in Harrock, for example what uh, about
0: western states is that, uh,
1: i think that it's too fast it's too fast and i think you could do well there in the heat yeah, yeah. I don't know, but... uh, And plus, you
0: you run downhill so strong. Like, it might be a good race for you
1: someday. But Hard Rock, for example, I know that the views are amazing. Yeah. The mountain, big mountains in altitude. And I think that I I would like more than Western that is more flat, no? Yeah. And the views, I don't know if are good or not, but it's better Hard Rock, for sure. Hard Rock's better. Uh, So, yeah. For (laughs) example, in the future, I think that, I will enjoy a lot in USA in some races. And yeah, look what I can do in Gran Canaria. Maybe yeah. run again and try to <laughs> yeah try to Just win five times yeah. or six times or, <laughs> or what we can do in this kind of races. But yeah, in Europe, we have a lot of races. Mm-hmm. And now, for example, Spartan Trail is starting also with yeah. new calendar. Uh, so we have now two calendars with the table tour, Spartan. Yeah. And we will see in the future what happens here mm-hmm. now in in Utah calendars, and yeah, I think that we have a big future of this sport.
0: Yeah, well, good, well, pal. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. Thank you. Your English was great. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm having I'm a sorry hard time for, speaking uh, English now. I'm
1: sorry, because <laughs> My English is not good, but I try to do my best.
0: It's admirable. Yeah, I mean, especially after such a long, hard thirteen hours <laughs> of of running yesterday, you did a great job. Um, thank you. Certainly much and better
1: Congratulations, than too, because you did a good race. Uh,
0: thank you, sir. Well, uh, good luck for the rest of the season. We appreciate you, you sitting down, and uh, I think people really like this. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Okay, cool. Thanks so much to POW again. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you found it useful, interesting, or at least entertaining. I know I really enjoyed it. I'm sure most of you already follow on Instagram, but if not, I'd highly encourage you to do so. He's got a great account. He puts up a lot of motivating content it becomes abundantly clear that he does actually train four to six hours a day as he said in our interview uh, because he seems to always be training always makes me feel lazy but it's great and it's motivating so thanks again to pal and before we go again i just wanted to talk a little bit about the women's race at trans Grand canaria for those who find that interesting i know i certainly do and 1st You know, I want (laughs) to... give a shout out to the race organization at Trans Grand Canaria because they were clearly doing an initiative this year to really try and promote women's participation in our sport uh, with a trail is female kind of theme that was running throughout the weekend. They made a point of putting all the elite women at the very front of the starting corral rather than us men. And I thought it was a really cool kind of symbolic thing and something that I hope that the, the professional women in the race also so appreciated and I think is something that is going to be good for our sport long term. But to talk a little bit about the competitive edge of the women's field, I just hope people understand like this was a really serious race and a really serious field that assembled on the women's side, which is so fun for fans of the sport like myself to see and to spectate so you know just to go through a few of the the characters that were in the race of course we had Caitlin gerbin american um who i want to talk about a lot here uh of course having achieved an amazing victory on the island over the weekend she was a returning second place finisher also, Audrey Tange, a two-time TDS champion. Azara Garcia, who's a previous winner at Trans Grand Canaria. Mimi Kotka, who's been one of the best long course mountain uh, sort of ultra-trail athletes over the last four or five years as well. Uh, Andrea Hooser, who again, has also been one of the best racers in the world over the last few years. Fernanda Maciel, who's been one of the most consistent racers over the last decade, Nat- Natalie Maclaire, uh a world champion and UTMB champion, uh, uh, Casey Lichtai, many, many, many other amazing women in the field. And I just hope people understand, especially the American audience, what a great achievement it was for Caitlin to pull off this amazing victory on the island. Um, I had the good fortune of hanging out with Caitlin a little bit before the race. And I could tell she was on a mission this year. Um, I was surprised to learn she wasn't super satisfied with her second place finish from last year in 2019, where she felt like she just didn't have her best day, wasn't feeling top-notch physically after a long trip, came down with a little bit of an illness, but ultimately was able to tough it through for a proud second place performance and was clearly back with a vengeance looking for uh, amazing victory, which he was able to achieve. And again, I hope to have Caitlin on the show in the near future. Um, I'd like to do these interviews in person because I think it ends up sounding better, and the conversations end up being more useful for the listener, and we weren't able to do that, but maybe we could do something remote or uh, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, given that we are neighbors, Caitlin being in Seattle and me in Portland, hopefully we can put that together here soon. But I just wanna give a massive, massive shout out to Caitlin. She ran a uh, seemingly flawless race, a strategic race, And she achieved what is certainly, I think, the best or at least biggest, most important uh, race achievement of her career. Of course, she's been on the podium at Western States, I think twice, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, she has a long list of other really solid race accomplishments, but... To me, always seems to be flying under the radar, and I don't think that's going to be possible anymore. Caitlin also won the um, Coastal Challenge in Costa Rica uh, just last month, which is a multi-day stage race, also in very hot sort of tropical conditions which i think set her up for success at trans grand canary as well but with those two back-to-back victories to start off uh her campaign here in 2020 i hope everybody else is taking notice i think uh her main objective for the season is going to be utmb this year and i honestly think she's going to be one of the main contenders in the field. As I said in a previous episode, the American contingent on the women's side heading to Chamonix for the full UTMB this year is incredibly stacked, but I would certainly put Caitlin near the top of that list and I can't wait to keep following. Shout out to the rest of the women who also performed admirably on the mountain. It was an incredibly deep and competitive race. Um, the, the podium was only separated by, I think about 15 minutes, which is pretty close in a race of that distance and technicality and difficulty. So it was quite competitive, which again is really cool, really cool to see. Um, and just to say a few words for people who are interested in how things went for me. Yeah, I'm super, super happy. Uh, I was able to finish third place in what was just a solid all-around day, Uh, something that I was not really expecting and something that comes as an enormous relief. For those who follow me, you know that the last year plus has been filled with a lot of hardship, injury, adversity, stress, emotional stuff, just a lot of... um, difficult things, and um, yeah, a lot of self-doubt, and uh, I was able to go have a race that both was really proud of and that leaves room for improvement, which is basically exactly what I was looking for. I did an interview with Brian Powell at Iron Farr afterwards, which you can see on their website, um, but just to kind of repeat a few of things that I, that I said there, My main goal going into the race was to basically just go have a solid run, you know? Not try to put myself in contention to win, not try and set any ambitious goals, but to just go, enjoy the process, try and have a solid day, make as few mistakes as possible, and enjoy every step of the crossing of the island. And I'm really happy to say that I was able to do so. And while I still don't feel quite a hundred percent, it feels really good to know that I'm not nearly as far off top form as I've felt for the last year. So for those of you who are spectating and sharing at home, I want you to know that I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to, to build from here and keep moving forward here in 2020. Okay that's enough for this episode. I really appreciate you guys tuning in and hopefully we'll have more good content coming to you very soon. Okay. All the best.